Well, I'd invite you to take a seat. Uh, and if you snuck in late, uh, my name is Chris and I'm one of the communicators here at Beyond Church. We're so excited that uh, you would join us tonight. If you're new, if this is your first time uh, with us, you're jumping in right at the tail end of a series that we've been doing called Be Rich, where for the last uh, two weeks and tonight as well, we're gonna, we've been talking around this idea of uh, how, not how, just how we can be rich with our finances, uh, but also how we can be rich with our, our stuff. We've been looking at the idea that by the very fact we live in a country like Australia, you and I are richer than we think. In fact, if you earn just $2,000 a year, that puts you in the top 40% for wage earners in the world. So we've been looking at how we can be uh, good, rich people, and uh, I don't have time to go over everything that we've kind of covered, but if you want to jump online to our uh, podcast, uh, you can find us on SoundCloud or iTunes, and you can catch up on parts one and two, and you can re-listen to this part tonight. But last week, last week, uh, if you weren't here, or if you, in case you were here, we looked at the idea that what often prevents us from being generous is this thing called greed. And we defined greed as greed is the false assumption that everything that comes into your hand and everything that comes into my hand is for our consumption. And we said, we don't want to be greedy people, we want to be generous people. And so we actually launched our our Be Rich campaign because we wanted to practice being generous. And so what we did last week is we said we identified two local organizations within our community who make an incredible uh, difference in the lives of uh, people. And so the two organizations that we identified were Chameleon Youth Housing, and they work particularly with um, at-risk teenagers who are on the verge of homelessness or who are homeless. And we also uh, looked at uh, the Breakfast Club at Redcliffe, who give, uh, give away food on a Monday, Wednesday and Friday, and on a Tuesday and Thursday afternoons. And so what we said is we, wanted to, we want to practice being generous, and we want to practice being generous towards two organisations that are already making such a big deal within our community. And so we set a target last week, and we kind of put a challenge out there. We said we want every person um, within our community to donate $30 towards this. One time, $30. And we set a target of 2000 and as of Thursday, so in the first week, as of Thursday... Um, it'll come up on the screen. We have raised $349 as of this Thursday. That's a good start. That's a good start, right? Yeah. That's a good start, but we've got, we've got a little bit to go. So we've still got until this Friday. This Friday, you can donate. Uh, the details are up there if you want to take a screen grab of it. You can go onto our Facebook. You can go onto our Instagram. You can get all the details. Uh, we haven't been putting the names of the organizations we're donating to up on our social media because they don't know that we're practicing being generous to them. This is just for us to practice being generous. They're just the beneficiaries of us practicing. And so tonight what we're going to talk about as we wrap up this series, last week we looked at the idea of practicing being generous. And this week we want to give you a plan. And we want to talk about how do you actually make generosity part of your life on a day-to-day basis. Now I totally get it that some of you are sitting there and maybe this is your first time in church or your first time back in a long time or maybe you've been, even been in church and for you, you've been um, painted a picture of church where all churches want is your money. They're not concerned about you. They don't really care about what's going on in your life. All they're worried about is the credit card or the money in your back pocket. And I just want to say up front, if that's the impression that you've got from church, I'm so sorry. Because what actually happens when you open the pages of the New Testament, when you read the biographies of of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and what they wrote about Jesus, 
Jesus never ever says what he wants from you, but he always says what he wants for you. And so this series, we said right off the bat, we are not going to ask you to give any money to Beyond because this is not what we want from you. This series is about what we want for you. And what we want for you is to be generous. What we really, really want at the end of the day is when people say the word generous in your circle of friends, that your name and that your face would spring to mind. So with that in mind, I'm going to ask us a question that's going to kind of get us going on that idea towards generosity. But, but, wait, wait, wait. Before we do, I haven't asked it yet. Before we do, I want to invite Riley up. Where's Riley? Riley, our lovely host. Give him a round of applause as he comes up. Now, I've got Riley up tonight. Riley, you can just yeah, come into the light a little I'm bit. I'm so just concerned. Wait. Yes. Yeah, okay. you can wait there. Now, before I ask this question, Riley, um, I've got some um, safety glasses for you. If you could just pop these on. That'd be, that, yeah, I'll do they're it for you. They're unisexual? Yes. They are, okay. yeah, well, I wear them, so I hope they're, <laughs> I don't know. And then what I've got next is this. We haven't run this past health and safety or, like, any of that, so you can just pop that there. There you go, there you go. And now we can, uh, now we can ask the question that's going to launch us in tonight, and the question is this. When it comes to your wealth, and when it comes to your riches, what are you aiming for? Because for, for some of you, maybe, maybe you're sitting there and, and I ask you this question, what are you aiming for? Just so you know, we practice this. I hit the apple every single time. Okay, don't worry, we'll, we'll be sweet. You're so far from it. Yeah. <laughs> thought the question was going to be, does my insurance cover this? But no. Yep, no, you're good. No, the insurance doesn't cover this. So. <laughs> That's why I'm such a good shot. Yeah, but the question we wanted to ask you is, is what, uh, what are you aiming for when it comes to your riches? Because some of you, honestly, when it comes to your wealth, you take aim and you say, what I'm aiming for is to have some. Ooh. I hope that one day I get to a point where I have some wealth, I have some riches. Maybe some of you are, are, are saying, when it comes to my riches, what I really want is to have enough to retire well. Oh. I'm going to come up with three more examples oh, so I can keep hitting that up. Like, better. Yeah. <laughs> what, I, what I want for with my riches is to be able to send my kids to a private school. Oh, that one dipped hard. <laughs> I felt it. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe some of you are saying, hey, what I want for my riches is to be able to save up to go on that overseas trip, to save up to, to maybe uh, go on that holiday, to save up to buy that PlayStation, to buy that extra makeup. That's the objective of my riches. Oh, <sighs> somehow when I was practicing, this is just a little side note, this is not, somehow when I was practicing in a room by myself with this gun, I lost one of the bullets. So there's always going to be a blank tonight. So we'll better go again on that one. <laughs> oh. But we're all out now, yeah? Yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> no, we're not. Oh, yeah, we're done. Thanks, Riley. You can take a seat. <laughs> you can have that. That's yours to keep. <laughs> yeah, he's going to need the doctor after that. And the question is, though, when it comes to your wealth, what are you taking aim at? When it comes to your finances, when it comes to your stuff, when it comes to your riches, what are you taking aim at? The way that you look after your wealth, what is it that you're taking uh, aim at? And tonight, um, I'm not saying that any of those examples that I gave are bad. I'm not saying that, that trying to, to save enough money to retire, I'm not saying that's a bad objective. I'm not saying that it's bad to aim to send for your kids to a private school. But what we want to talk tonight about is if you're a follower of Jesus, if you are in this room and you are a follower of Jesus... What is it that we should be aiming for? 
What is it that when we, when we approach our wealth, when we approach our finances, what is it that we, that we really should be aiming for? And if you're here tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus, what I, what I really want to do, because I, I can't say, I can't tell you what to do with your finances, but I would love to add a category to your thinking, just for consideration. If you were maybe to begin to think about following Jesus, if you're wondering what it would look like to follow Jesus, I want to add a category to your thinking to help you see what followers of Jesus are aiming for when they look at their finances. And we find this objective, we find this aim, what we, what we could be aiming for as followers of Jesus in a prayer that a king prayed 3,000 years ago. And he prayed this prayer in front of his kingdom as he was bringing the clothes down on his final parliament as king. This king uh, is, is King David. And if you're new to church and you don't really know King David, uh, this is the same David as in the David and Goliath story. This is the same David as in the David and Bathsheba story. And David, he had a pretty turbulent time becoming king. It wasn't an easy road for him to become king at all. In fact, uh, there was a point in time where David was hunted, where people were trying to take his life so that he couldn't become king. Then when he finally became king, he was king over a nomadic group of people. In fact, all these other uh, people around him, these other people groups around him, tribes, they had temples for the God that they worshipped. David's temple for his God was a portable temple that they called a tabernacle. But eventually, David kind of got to the point where he arrived as king. They had a piece of land. The kingdom was built. And David, he was one of those people that he sees everything through the lens of what God is doing in his life. He doesn't attribute anything in his life to chance. He always looks at it through the lens of what God is doing in his life and he sees it as a blessing from God. And so one day David stands on the balcony of his palace and he looks out across his kingdom that he's built, finally arrived, and he puts his hands on the edge of the balcony and he can't help but notice that the tabernacle, the portable place of God, was still present in their community. He was standing in a massive palace but God was still residing in a tent. And David decided that he didn't want that. After all that God had done for him, he goes, no, no, God needs a temple. And so what David started doing is he started kind of recruiting resources for a building project. He said, we're going to build a temple to God. And so he started using the tax that the people were paying, but then he started asking for donations and money started flowing in from the community. And not just money, but, but materials to build the palace, uh, to build the temple started flowing in. In fact, David was so sold out for building this temple to God that he donated $14 billion. $14 billion of his own money to the construction of this temple. And David actually never got to see the temple finished during his reign. Because as all this money was pouring in, David held the final parliament for his reign. And what ended up happening, um, we have, this is what ended up being built through those people. It's, uh, it's called Solomon's Temple because Solomon was the king during the time of construction. Some people class it as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, other people don't. Um, but it was one of the, the kind of wonders of the ancient world. It was such a beautiful thing when it was finally built. But it's in this prayer that David prayed to close his parliament that we discover what we as followers of Jesus should be aiming for when it comes to our riches. And this is the prayer David prays. He says, Oh, our God, we thank you and your glorious name. But who am I 
And who are my people that we could give anything to you? Could you imagine praying that kind of prayer if you just donated $14 billion? God. My prayer would probably look a little bit differently. Be like, God, I don't know if you remember me, but I'm the guy that donated $14 billion to the whole temple thing that's going on over there. God, I don't know if you remember me, but, but I'm the guy that gave a whole lot towards this going on, so you should maybe hear my prayer. But David actually goes the opposite. He says, God, who am I that I could give anything to you? And the reason that David prays this prayer is because David is coming from a different perspective. David shares a different perspective from you and a different perspective than I do when it comes to his wealth. Because isn't it true that, that when you go out and when you work, you work and you, you earn the money that you get. And then you earn the money that you get and then you decide what you're going to spend it on. And so when you spend it on whatever you want to spend it on, you own that thing. You bought that phone, you own it, it's yours, right? You, you bought that computer, you own it, it's yours. You're saving up and you've saved up and you've bought that car, you own it, it's yours. And maybe you have a mortgage and you'll own your house in 20 years. Maybe you're saving up for that makeup or for those clothes or for that trip overseas, whatever it is, you're saving up for it, you own it, it's yours. But David kind of doesn't assume that. David doesn't assume ownership. He says, actually, for so many of us, we actually assume that because we, we got money, because we bought it and because it's ours, we assume ownership. And David's perspective is incredibly different because David doesn't assume ownership. And what he prays next actually challenges the very fabric of that assumption in our life. And he says this, he says, everything we have, and he's talking about all his people here, his entire kingdom, he says, everything we have comes from you. And we give only what you first gave us. In other words, what David is saying is, we're not owners of our stuff. We're just managers. We don't own our stuff. We just manage it. And if you're having trouble wrestling, getting your head around that, I totally get it. In fact, David's entire community that he was praying to would have been like, hang on a minute, David, whoa. I gave those materials. They were mine. I was an owner of them and I gave them to the construction of the temple. That money that you had in your bank account, that 14 billion, that was yours. You gave it. And David, what he prays next, helps them to gain a different perspective. And this is what he prays. He says, we are here only for a moment. Visitors and strangers in a land as our ancestors were before us. Our days on earth are like a passing shadow, gone so soon without a trace. Doesn't that just inspire you? Just kidding. That's a bad joke, I'll throw it out there with all my other bad jokes. But he essentially, what he's trying to do is when we assume ownership, we look at things in the context of our life. And we say, in the context of, our, of my little snapshot of earth, this is mine, I own it. And David says, I want you to gain a bigger perspective. Because if the universe has been here for 5 billion years, and if our earth has been here for 1.6 or 2 billion years, or however long we've been here, he said, what is currently yours wasn't yours before. There was a time in history where all the materials that you owned were here, but you weren't an owner of them. And there will come a time in history where you're not here anymore, but the universe continues on, and all your stuff will be left here. And if you're really an owner, you'd take your stuff with you, wouldn't you? But David's saying you're not. You're just a manager. Everything that you have right now 
is a gift to manage well. And so many of us, when it comes to church, when it comes to talking about wealth, we feel that God actually wants to take something from us. We feel that God sits up there in heaven and God wants to take away my financial security. God wants to take away that holiday. God wants to take away that extra money that I have saved up. But the God of Christianity is a giver, not a taker. In fact, you know this already. The most famous passage that even if you're not a church person, you will know this, says, for God so loved the world that he gave, not took, but gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So the question becomes, right, if God's not a taker, if God's a giver, then then what is David getting at in his prayer? What is David saying should be the aim? What should we be shooting at if we are followers of Jesus? What should be our objective when it comes to our wealth and when it comes to our riches? And David would say it's simple. Honour God. When it comes to what you have and what you've been entrusted, when you realise that you're a, a manager, not an owner, the objective becomes clear. Honour the one who gave it to you in the first place. In other words, what David is saying here, David's prayer is not so much focused on what the people have given. David's prayer is not focused on how much stuff he's pouring in to fill the temple. David's prayer is focused on their way of living. Because David knows that for so many of us, if we don't live a life that is orientated around generosity, that sooner rather than later, our hands begin to close around the stuff we have. And if we don't order our lives around living a generous life, it will come to a point where our hand closes around everything we have because we assume ownership. But if we live in such a way that we are generous, our hands become open and we can continue to live in such a way because our lives are ordered around giving. And when we look at our wealth, we look at it from the lens of living, not giving. So, if our core objective is to do that, how do we go about it? If you were to go about it, how would you go about it? Well, God's plan for actually our generosity is not to take your money. It's to prevent your money from taking you. As David, as David was praying that prayer, saying it's, it's around living, because when we don't give, when we fail to give, it actually affects us as well as the people around us. And our lives become so focused on our stuff that not only does our hope migrate, but we actually don't know how to live well. So, in light of that, we have this thing at Beyond called Four Monday because we believe there's no point coming to church on Sunday if it doesn't help you for the rest of the week, if it doesn't impact the lives of those around you for the rest of the week. And so our challenge for this, to to help you order and to actually be generous, is really simple. In fact, this is not going to blow you away. You're not going to sit there and be like, wow, I never thought of that before. The full Monday this week is simple. Make a plan. Make a plan to order your life around generosity. Now, if I can be just completely honest, the good news here is that for, for all of us in the room, we already have a plan when it comes to generosity. 
And I know, I know that there are some of you, and you're sitting there, and you're like, Chris, I'm not a planner. I don't have a plan. I kind of just, I kind of like to wing it, you know? I just kind of like to fly by the seat of my pants, just see what happens, and, and, and I understand that. But you have a plan. It's just not a very good one. The good news is you can make a better plan. Because for so many of us here, our plan for generosity is what I like to call, and what we like to call, the 3S generosity plan. It's sporadic, it's sparing, and it's spontaneous. We give sporadically, we don't give to an organisation, we don't give to charities, we don't give in a deliberate manner. It's sporadic when we do give. When we do give, it's sparing, and the reason why it's sparing is because you're guilted into doing it. Someone knocks at your door, do you have money for guide dogs? Do you have money for heart research? Someone's kind of shaking the, the, the tin as you get off the train and you're guilted into it. You're like, oh, I guess, okay, I'll put it in there. And it's spontaneous. In other words, it's not predetermined for you to be generous. It's spontaneously generous. And we want something more for you than that. We want something more than this kind of plan for you. Because if you want to be known as a generous person, it's going to take a plan. And so we want to give you what's called the 3P generosity plan. The 3P generosity plan is really simple. The first thing you need to do is make being generous a priority. Sounds pretty simple, right? But if you want to get fit, you need to make it a priority. You need to make time to go to the gym. You need to to make time to eat healthy. You need to make it a priority. If you play an instrument and you want to develop that skill, you need to make it a priority. You need to make time within your week to make it a priority. If you want to get better at a subject that you're working on, if you want to get better at your marriage, if you want to heal a friendship, you need to make it a priority and you need to set some time aside. And with this, it's making it a priority in your budget. And how do you make it a priority in your budget? Well, the second P is this, percentage. Pick a percentage. Now, here's something that that is not news to any of you. You are living on a percentage of your income. Every single week, you have a check that comes in, and you have some money that comes in every fortnight or once a month or however that works, and and that is 100% of your income, whatever comes into your bank account. And you are living on a percentage of that. The scary thing for a lot of us is, you don't know what that percentage is. You're not sure what percentage you're living on. And the fact I've said that, some of you are like, oh, wow. Some of you are probably living on 120%. But we want you to be better than that. We want you, this is how we want you to pick your percentage. We want you to determine what percentage are you going to be generous with. Our recommendation is, is no less than five. You're not going to miss less than 5%. Five, 5% or, or, or however high you want to go, depending on. First, pick a percentage that you want to be generous with. Then, secondly, pick a percentage you want to save. And then, that whatever is left over, you live off that. Too many people live first, save second, and give third. But if you want to be generous, you need to give first, save second, and live off the rest. And here's here's the final P. Priority, percentage, and progressive. If you really want to be a generous person throughout the course of your life, you need to progressively increase the percentage that you give over time. And the reason is really simple, is because life is not stagnant, it's progressive. As you go through life, you'll get promotions and you'll change jobs and you'll get more and more income. And so your generosity should increase as your earnings increase. Just as if you kind of, 
you know, go through a bit of a financially difficult situation or you change jobs, so your uh, percentage can decrease as you go along. Priority, percentage, and progressive. And that is the plan to help you begin to be generous. Now, as we finish, as we finish, because I know that kind of plan is not the best place to leave this series, I want to ask you a question that will get us thinking. Where you could begin to be generous. And the question is this, what breaks your heart? What is it that when you look at the world, you wish it wasn't the case? What is it when you see, in, when you look out in the world and you observe what's going on, you look at it and you think, that's an injustice, that shouldn't happen. I wish I could do something about that. And then if we're honest, let's, let's be super honest, the most we ever really do is post a Facebook status about it. The most we ever do is really share something on Instagram. And that's all well and good. But what kind of difference are we making if it really breaks our heart? And we believe that God has broken your heart for a purpose. And the things that break your heart, you might notice that you're so concerned about it, but your friends are not. For whatever reason, they just can't understand why this is such a big deal to you, but it's such a big deal to you. And this is because it's your responsibility for what breaks your heart. Jesus' best mate, John, 60 years after Jesus was died, was sitting exiled on an island. And he wrote... As he recalled Jesus' life, he recalls what it looked like and what it cost Jesus for what, it, what, for what broke Jesus' heart. And this is what he writes. He says, if someone has enough money to live well, not live exorbitantly, just live well. In other words, if you have enough money to, to throw around for a couple of extra coffees every week, that's, that's pretty living well. If you have enough money to, to not know what percentage of your income you're living on, you're probably living well. He says, if this person who lives well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? And if you're you're not a follower of Jesus tonight, you can just take the God's part out. How can love be in that person if they're living well, if they see a need and they do nothing about it? And John isn't writing this to, to put us on a guilt trip. That's the last thing that John's trying to do. He's trying to inspire us. And this is what he says next. He said, let's not merely say we love each other. We're better than that. Let's not say it, but let's show the truth by our actions. And when you understand what John has seen in his life, you understand that he has stood at the foot of the cross on a dark Friday afternoon and he has seen his best friend, tortured for hours, beyond recognition, gouged with metal and shards of glass, and John sees him hanging on a cross between two criminals, convicted of a crime that he did not commit. And John has seen this man, in the three years that he has been with Jesus, make the blind see, make the lame walk. He has seen him raise a man from the dead, John believes that the man hanging on the cross before him is no man, but he's God. And John knows that at any second, if he chose, that Jesus could get down off that cross. But what John sees instead is the creator of the universe choose to hang and give up his life for what broke his heart. 
so that you and I wouldn't ever have to know if God loved us, so that a bulldozer would be crashed through all the stuff that we think separates us from God. Jesus hung on that cross and gave His life so that we could experience the forgiveness, so that we could be reconnected with a heavenly Father who wants something for us. And if that's the kind of God we follow, if that's what our God did for what broke His heart, how should that look in our lives as followers of Jesus if that's the example of love that we follow? One last thing, and then we're going to go. One last thing before the band comes up. I want to make this really practical. I want to make this super practical for you. This is $10, obviously. This is $10. So many of us, if we're honest, we waste this kind of money every week, right? We look at this and we're like, it's just 10 bucks, right? Ah, oh, sure, I'll get that or I'll throw it over there. Or, it's not even that big of a deal. Did you know if 70 people made a commitment to give $10 a week, that's $700 a week. That turns out to be $2,800 a month. Over the course of a year, if 70 people committed to give just $10 a week, that would be $36,400 that could change the lives of people in a local community. The good news for you and the good news for I is that we probably have $10 lying around. We don't have to just practice being generous. We would encourage you to do that but we can actually commit to ordering our lives around generosity and we can do it for as little as $10 a week. It's not that big of a step. Because generosity changed the world once when God stepped into history and hung on a cross to die, to show love. And generosity can change the world again and I hope it changes the world. But first it starts with you and with me changing the local community that we're a part of and showing God's love and showing that God died for them and God wants something for them. Let me pray for you and I invite the band back up. Heavenly Father, we thank you for David's prayer that he played, prayed 3,000 years ago. We thank you that we can turn back and reference these ancient documents and see that the objective with our money should be to honour you. And Lord, we thank you for the words that John wrote to help us see that this is not just something out, out there, but this is something that we can practically do when we order our lives around generosity. So Lord, I, I pray tonight that regardless of whether people are followers of Jesus or whether, um, whether they don't want to have anything to do with you, that they would be people who order their lives around generosity. And Lord, for those of us who follow you, that we would take this seriously. And that we would order our lives around generosity, not, not because we want to show you how great we are, not because we want to earn something for you, not because you want to take something from us, Lord, but because we want to show the truth of who we are by our actions. And we want to show that generosity and we want to change the face of our community. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.